Good evening, Mosaic. That was weak. Good evening, Mosaic. <laughs> My name is Russ, and it is so good to be with you. You know, as we prepare our hearts for worship, aren't you grateful to have this awesome choir with us? Yeah. I am so grateful. Yeah, you can go ahead and click it off. <laughs> well, and I invite you tonight just for our voices to be an extension of this choir. They're not singing at you, they're singing with you. So we invite you to stand and let's together as a family lift up our God and give him the praise that he is worthy of. You with me? Let's sing it out. You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. That's good news, isn't it? Let's celebrate. You are peace. You are peace when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I see. You are life, you are life, in you death has lost its sting. So we declare it out.
Well, hey, good evening, Mosaic. You can go ahead and take a quick seat. Um, we're so grateful to have you with us this Saturday. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ashley Covert, and I help with communications here. I'm often running around with the camera, so if I've ever blocked your view, I'm really sorry, but uh, we're glad to see you tonight. A um, couple things that I want to put before you. So you might have been hearing us talk about our upcoming Discover small group experience that's starting in February, starting February 10th. And if you're unfamiliar with Discover, it's a six-week small group experience designed to help you connect and community, uh, meet some of our staff, learn more about the history of fellowship and mosaic. Uh, it's a really great on-ramp into community. I don't say that just in case you're new. I went through Discover after I had been here, I think, five or six years. And I went through with some members of staff. So it's never too late. Um, jump on board to Discover if you haven't signed up yet. I'd really encourage you to do that. Ladies, you've like been hearing us talk about our upcoming women's studies. Um, there is still time to register for those classes if you haven't yet. Um, and then I also wanted to remind you, if you're planning on coming to our retreat at the end of February, you still have time to take advantage of that like early bird sign-up deal. So I think that will end... January 29th, which is in two days. So take advantage of that. Our retreats are really sweet times to kind of unplug from the busyness of our schedules and just connect with one another. So we hope to have you join us in a retreat. Um, and then lastly, we are about to start our new series in David. So this will be an eight-week series over David's life. Uh, and I'm really excited about this series coming out of Celebrate Recovery. Um, just as a reminder that our Promise Keeper King uses broken and messy people to achieve his glory and our good. So we do have some resources available for you. So if you take a look at the screen above me, we have discussion guides that we will update weekly on our discussion guide page. You can access that through the Mosaic newsletter and also through the mobile app. Um, or if you want the entirety of the resource right now, you can access that through the Mosaic homepage. So you can view, download, print, and use that individually with your family, with your community group. Um, and we hope you're looking forward into, uh, to what this next study will bring for us. So if you'll bow your heads and pray with me, uh, we'll continue in worship. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us together this evening. God, thank you for the ability to still and quiet our senses and remember why we're here. God, we ask that the distractions we may be coming in with would melt away um, as we remember your faithful promises to us, the ways that you love us, and the ways that you desire to see your glory and our good through us. Here and pray. Amen. Fellowship Mosaic family, our God, who is so majestic that the mountains bow before him, that the demons tremble in fear. He is not just faithful in the cosmos, amen. He's faithful to you and to me. He's faithful throughout generations of his people. So let's stand together and let's continue to sing to our promise keeper, our faithful God.
know, when we sing as a family that God is both a promise maker and a promise keeper, that is most appropriate because scripture teaches us that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And we sang the words together, you're, and forever we will say, you're the Lord our God. And we are right to do so because Jesus was given the name that is above every name, amen? That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he is our forever Lord God. That is good news for us, family. That means good things for us. And it also means that there is absolutely nothing there is no one that can keep our forever king from keeping his promises, amen? And that is worth celebrating. Don't you think so? Well, let's do that. This is our testimony. I searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise Treasures of faith Are never enough And you came along And put me back together Now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you.
take these things and would you use them for your glory for you are the only one worthy of our praise we love you Lord Amen would you sing this with me tonight
Good evening. My name is Michael Collier. Um, I have the privilege of serving as an elder with Scott Thompson down here. Um, and I've been a part of fellowship for about 20 years. My wife, Mandy, my daughter, Michaela, and my son, Matthias, we worship in Fayetteville on Sunday mornings. So I'm honored to be here and read the word. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, friends. Um, my name is Gary Oliver, and I'm a grateful, born-again believer in my Lord Jesus Christ. I struggle with depression, reacting, being driven, and overcommitment. My name is Gary. Now, you may wonder why I'm starting like that, because we had a, a wonderful uh, sweet teaching series on recovery the last three weeks. But as I prepared my message for my teaching, I was really prompted uh, just to say to you, if you've never been to a CR, you might say, well, I don't struggle with uh, sex addiction or pornography or alcoholism or whatever. You know what? CR is probably one of the most powerful groups that I've ever known. I've been a clinical psychologist for 40 years. I was trained as a theologian. I worked with tons of addiction groups, some of the major ones that our, our country knows. CR was started, I think, in 1991 at Saddleback in Southern California, which is where I grew up. And um, CR is not just for folks who have addictions, but they're for folks who have needs, who have habits that are hard to get over. And I've, uh, I've probably been to 15, 20 of the Friday night CR meetings uh, since it started. I encourage many of my clients to, uh, whether they have an addiction or not, and if you've never been to a CR meeting, for your sake, I would encourage you to come to just one. Every Friday night, seven o'clock, they meet right here. And I promise you, you won't be able to leave with having 
maybe a refreshed perspective, a renewed perspective, a renewed heart. So uh, I hope you'll, you'll take that suggestion. Okay, let's jump into our text tonight. Tonight we begin a series on David, fascinating series. David was amazing. I mean, uh, and, and we'll kind of lay the foundation tonight, but what David accomplished, a man after God's own heart, and yet David, David was really jacked. I mean, he did some dumb, stupid, weak stuff. So there's a part of David that I can't relate to, but much of David I can. <laughs> Maybe you can too. But the amazing thing about David was not the mistakes he made, but how he responded to them. He acknowledged his stuff, he owned his stuff, he trusted God, and he brought it back to him. And that is the secret of success in our walk with the Lord. Satan wants me and you to define ourselves by the mistakes we made, by the stupid things that we've done. And <clears throat> unfortunately, we're all weak. <laughs> I, I, sad to say we're all human and we're all fallen, which means we'll make mistakes. But that's the beauty of the heart of our Lord, is that when we make those mistakes, his arms are always wide open. He's not up there going, you dipstick, you loser. How many times did I, I mean, man, don't you ever listen on Saturday night? No. That's the adversary's voice. That's not his voice, okay? He always has his arms open to welcome us. So uh, tonight we begin an amazing story about David. And uh, our passage is 1 Samuel 16, but before we jump into that, let me give you a bit of background. In chapter 15, God rejects Samuel, probably Saul, as king. Saul has done some really messed up stuff. And in chapter 15, it's over. And there's a passage in chapter 15 that most theologians and Bible commentators say is one of the most powerful passages uh, in any of Samuel's writings. It's in uh, chapter 15, verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Here it comes. To obey is better than sacrifice. Oh, you know, do good stuff and give good stuff and be good stuff and blow and go. And, but you know what? At some point, he or she who is faithful in little is faithful also much. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of lambs. And then at the end of uh, chapter 15, here's what Samuel says. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. He never saw Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Saul was pretty impressed with himself, but he was very insecure, immature. He was a narcissist, and he was pretty sure his view of everything was right, and he had power. And you've ever heard the same power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely? Well, that was part of what Saul struggled with. So let's jump in. <clears throat> okay, chapter 15, chapter 16, Samuel anoints David. In chapter 17, David slays Goliath. Man, he takes us, he's this young 15-year-old kid. He goes out with, with his army, and, and, and no one is out willing to take on uh, the, uh, the enemy, Goliath. <clears throat> so David puts a stone in a little piece of leather with two strings on it, swings it, and he goes out there with all, out all this armor, but he's obeying God. And he swings that, and God uses little David's faithfulness, his trust, his belief to slay Goliath. Once again, he or she who is faithful in little is faithful also much. Okay, verse 1, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king 
Now, Samuel's a major prophet. Two books was his name, but Israel had rejected Samuel's leadership. Samuel's sons had accepted bribe. Uh, they had preferred the justice. They were disqualified. And so Samuel's depressed about Saul. He's depressed about his son's failures. And he's depressed because so much of his life is he's invested in Saul, and he's at the end of his life. And the people have lost some respect for him. King Saul was guilty of disobeying God again and again and again. And then lying about what he had done. So he forfeited the power and the gift that God had given him. Yeah, Saul was still in office. He still has some power. But again, his narcissism, his insecurity brought down his downfall. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. God had rejected Saul. And if he hears Samuel is going to go to Bethlehem and anoint a new king, boy, Samuel's in trouble. Bethlehem's in trouble. David's in trouble. So uh, God gives Samuel a way to do this without attracting Saul. The Lord said, take the heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. Jesse had eight sons. David's the youngest. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel, David, the Lord said, when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? I mean, the town was panicked because they knew what had gone on. And that made sense. Samuel's afraid of Saul. Bethlehem's afraid of Samuel. And again, they had good reason to be. Samuel was clearly God's prophet, but Saul was in power. Verse 5, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands, you know, this is him, okay? He stands here before the Lord because Eliab was the oldest, uh, Jesse's oldest son, of course, if he was the oldest, male. Well, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Boy, how often in life do we focus on someone's appearance and how they look and how they appear? And boy, we cannot even meet somebody but assume they're, they're together and they're significant. Wow. Do not focus on that, for I've rejected him. And, and this next passage is one of three or four that the vast majority of commentators, Bible scholars say, are a couple of the main passages in any of Daniel's, I mean, Samuel's two books. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I tell you, most people spend tons of time and money and energy and anxiety working on the outward appearance, becoming more buff, and that, that makes some sense. The clothes you wear, the kind of car you drive, and where you live, and uh, I've had a lot of clients who, who, who bought a new, n- nice car, but then they had a neighbor who bought a newer one, and boy, you move into a nice house, but you know somebody who has a nicer house, and it seems like whatever we get doesn't really feel a whole lot. It, it, does that make sense? Yeah, you want something, you need something, you get it, and okay, well, that's nice. We spend so much time and money working on our outward appearance, skin stuff, hair stuff. In fact, some people have people take needles and stick them in their lips and, 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 and push them so the lips get bigger. I wonder if I should do that. Because my lips are kind of small. Is that my, well, anyway. Uh, and I'm not putting that stuff down. But here's the thing. 
we, and notice I'm not seeing you, we spend times of, tons of money, tons of time on how we appear on the outward stuff. And we invest very little time working on our heart. And several months ago, we did a series on um, Ephesians, and I had the opportunity to do the uh, last part of Ephesians 3. And in that last part, Ephesians 3.19, Paul says that you might know, heart knowledge, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Boy, the scribes and Pharisees had knowledge, but they didn't have knowledge. I grew up in a Christian home. Some of you know I went to Sunday school 12 years, didn't miss, miss a Sunday. Before I started uh, my Christian college, I'd, I'd memorized hundreds of Bible verses. I got my degree from a Bible college, got a, uh, a three-year Master of Divinity, a two-year Master of Theology, five years of graduate, postgraduate theology. Uh, I knew uh, Greek and Hebrew and, and theological friends, blah, blah, blah. I had a lot of this. But a major part of my subsequent years was about this, learning how to love like him, to hear with his ears, to feel with his heart, to be patient, to be kind, to forgive. And you know, it seems like for many people, the more of this we have, the easier it is for us to be judgmental and to be critical and to justify ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about you here at Fellowship. I'm talking about people who go to other churches. <laughs> so do not, you know, this is just an, an illustration for you. To know, understanding, and obeying Christ's invitation to become conformed to the image of his son. You know, I've done a lot of funerals, several hundred, and uh, I've counseled a lot of folks that have been at the bedside, both as a minister and as a psychologist. And um, I've never been with anybody who said, you know, Doc, boy, I wish I'd made a lot more money. Boy, I wish I'd bought a, a fancier car. Gosh, I wish I'd lived in a fancier neighborhood. Not one. You know what I hear? I wish I'd been kinder. I wish I'd been more patient. I wish I'd listened a bit more. I wish I hadn't been so busy. I wish I would have made a bit more time because those I love. Without exception, time and time and time again. I've had a couple of folks who were worth tens of millions of dollars, had homes on three continents, would fly into Denver on their own zero jet. It doesn't matter what your bank account is. When all is said and done, what really matters is not this or this, but it's this. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him passed in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, nope. Jesse, well, it's not in the text, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nope. Uh, Jesse has his seven sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Wow. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Okay, Samuel's the eighth, uh, I mean, David's the eighth son of Samuel. He has big, buff brothers, older. They're not chosen. Obviously, David was a nobody. He was the youngest. He's out tending sheep. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to countries where there are shepherds, if you've gone up, but, but, but I've stayed a couple of nights out with guys who just do sheep. It's not terribly exciting. And you don't have showers. You can't soak in the tub, okay? And sometimes those guys have aromas that aren't terribly exciting, okay? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not being critical. Um, and David's 15 years old when he's anointed. God loves to find leaders in unexpected places. And by leaders, I don't mean pastors and teachers and professors. 
By these words, I mean people who are willing to be used of God to these others. There are a variety of ways that we can lead. We can lead a Bible study. We can lead a discipleship group. We can lead in mentoring. We can lead a youth group. I have a number of friends who lead journey groups, but I'm in a journey group right now, and I love it, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Joseph got dumped in a well, left to die. He became a slave, then a prison convict, and then he became the number two man in Egypt because he was faithful. Paul was a Pharisee. He held the cloak of the guys who murdered Stephen. And yet Paul listened and was faithful. And he became the most prolific apostle. Move ahead of 1,500 years, roughly 16th century. Martin Luther came out of a poor miner's cottage where he grew up as kind of an, an, an armpit of where he lived at that time. That guy came from nothing. But Martin Luther obeyed God. And he was used by God to start the Protestant Reformation, which has impacted billions of people. You see, she or he who is faithful in little is faithful also much. Verse 12, <clears throat> let's move on. So he sent for him, had him brought in, and he was growing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. <laughs> really? Are, are you serious? Are, are you cotton picking kidding me? <laughs> a 15-year-old shepherd who probably, you know, had no cologne or anything. And <laughs> this is the one? Yeah. David was a nobody. He was the youngest. He was not even invited to come. But yet somehow, God knew David was a man that he could trust. Wow. God loves to find his leaders in unexpected places, even here. I tell you, for me, I grew up in the lower middle class. My folks had no money. I had a basic education. I stammered growing up. I, I, I couldn't talk well. In kindergarten, I got sent home from school a couple of days because kids made fun of me and I started breaking out in fights. I learned to be able to talk okay. And uh, then 13 years ago, I had my tongue removed, which really stinks. <laughs> and now I talk really funny. Um, but you know what? The bottom line is not what you can do. It's not how much you know. It's not how great you are. It's not how big your fan club is. It's not how much people we impress. Somehow, he or she who is faithful in little is faithful also much. Is that making sense? And, 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 and David chose to be faithful in little. <clears throat> Boy, again, he sent for him. This young guy, he's healthy, rides by the anoint him. David was so insignificant that Jesse didn't even invite him. But here's the deal. David was a man with the heart of a shepherd. David was faithful in little. And the older I've gotten, I one time had a library close to 4,000 volumes, literally, which shows a lot of insecurity. <laughs> If was library that big. Um, and I love books. I, I, I still love books. But David had the heart of a shepherd. He loved. He cared. And about a thousand years later, another shepherd was born. And this one was the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, John 10, 11, I think, Christ said, I am the good shepherd. So Samuel takes a horn of oil, anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel then went to Ramah. So that's the end of it. All this going on, all this drama, drama and, and, and Samuel anoints David. And then he goes back home. Ramah is about 11 miles from Bethlehem. Okay? And Samuel lived in Ramah. So it wasn't a, a, a big distance. Well, <clears throat> apparently at that time, 
Samuel didn't tell Jesse or David the meaning of what has happened to him or anything about why God has anointed him. Not what the future looked like for David. Not told that he would become the next king so they could spread rumors and say, hey, the next king was just anointed by, by Samuel in Bethlehem. There was a time David went back to ten sheep and uh, he learned how to play the harp for Saul. Well, that's a requirement for a great king, huh? Play sheep and play as a harp. But David was faithful in Zizzle. And in chapter 17, David tells Goliath, and then the journey begins. Well, those of you who have heard me teach know I, I end every teaching with three words. So now what? I mean, this is not like a terribly exciting passage. And when I read it, I thought, boy, there's not a, not a deep, complex, theological things here. There's, there's not just like cool prophetic things, several views of, of what it is, and I can give you uh, the correct view uh, then, which is always in, in number three, okay? Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> well, as I read this and prayed about this, God gave me a great aha. David is anointed next king of Israel, but he goes back to being a shepherd, being faithful in Zizzle. That's it. He's been a faithful servant over a few things. God promoted him to being a ruler over many. David was faithful in Zizzle, and he became a man that God could trust. You know, most great awakenings, great revivals were not start by, started by well-educated, famous people. Okay? The great awakenings in our country, revivals around the world, were usually started by nobodies. Nobody knew about, nobody heard about, but they were simply men, women, who chose to be faithful. They were simply common folks. Let me tell you, tell you a brief story about a friend of mine. Bill McCartney uh, came to coach the Colorado Buffaloes in 1982. That's the same year my late wife, Terry, uh, and I moved to uh, Denver. And um, late in the 80s, I was doing a, a six-sermon series at a maker church in northern Denver on emotions. And in between the second and third service, I, I was in the green room, which some large churches have rooms where the speakers sit. You know, I was in the green room, a knock on the door, and someone said, Doctor, someone who wants to talk to you. So I, I got up and went out, and I walked out, and there was Coach Bill McCartney. I mean, I'd seen him on TV. I, I knew who he was. And um, he came up, he took my hand, and said, Doc. And, and then as I sighed, he said, Thank you so much for that teaching that you gave on God's view of anger. And then he took both of my I mean, one of my hands put him in both of his big, muscular hands. He said, my whole life, I've struggled with anger. If you've ever seen me coach, you've seen me lose my temper. You've seen me say things that I'm ashamed of, that don't glorify Christ, that I have to apologize for. And he said, I never understood anger from God's perspective and what it's about. And he got tears in his eyes. And we talked a few minutes, we talked several times later. But I was so impressed with Mac's heart, his desire to grow. Months later, I got a call. I was invited to a small group, about seven, eight guys, to help plan an event in the uh, arena at Colorado uh, University, which was the first Promise Keepers event. We had 4,200 men. And God let me be one of the four speakers for that. It was an amazing time. The next year, we moved to the arena, the football stadium. We had 22,000 men. And for the next 10 years, God let me serve on the board of PK and speak to over 100,000 men and was in a small group with Mac and three leaders met a couple of times a month. But here's the thing. Mac was not that well educated. He was an unbelievably unlikely candidate for God to use to begin what became the world's, I mean, America's largest revival in the history of our nation. Millions of, not just men, but eventually also women, millions were impacted. 
Bill was a man that God could trust. He was faithful in little. He listened. He was open about his stuff. He wanted to learn. He wanted to grow. He would leave messages on, on the phone asking for prayer. He was up at 5 o'clock most mornings to spend time in the Word and in prayer. He really cared about people. He really cared about people. And uh, today, again, God's looking for men and women that he can trust. David trusted and obeyed. Mac trusted and obeyed. And, and remember that passage from uh, chapter 15 I read? To obey is better than sacrifice. So as we wrap up, kind of, uh, here's a question. So now what? <clears throat> this week, what might it look like for me and for you to be faithful in the is there something God's been prompting you to do in your life? Maybe spend a wee bit more time in prayer, a wee bit more time in the Word. Maybe to call someone and chat with them and, 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 and to pray with them, okay? Might there be one little thing because God was able to use David because he was faithful. And the list goes on and on of men and women who basically what qualified them was they believed God. They believed what he said, and they chose to obey. Here's a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. I don't quote him a lot. <laughs> um, but um, I checked this out, and this is an actual quote from Napoleon. I know men, and let me tell you that Jesus Christ was no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. And God wants us to form our lives as David did on love, on caring. Christ focused his love and his life on us. He didn't make sure everybody had the correct view of the rapture or of this or that or baptism, or, you know. Uh, he said, follow me. And he was loving, he was patient, he was kind. He valued all kinds of people, male, female, red, brown, yellow, black, white, moth, taupe. Didn't uh, matter about the, the color, the rich and the poor. In fact, he had a huge heart for the poor. This week, what might it look like for you and me next seven days to be a wee bit more like David, to be faithful in little, to maybe love and serve others? And a bit more specifically, <clears throat> who might you be more patient, kinder, a better listener, more forgiving, and encourager to? You see, it's one thing to be a Christian teacher, a Christian talker, a Christian teller, a Christian promoter, a Christian proclaimer, that's good. But there's a whole nother thing to be a Christ follower, to be a man and a woman who is faithful in little, to trust and obey. Before his disciples became leaders, they were faithful followers. Scribes and Pharisees, how much they knew the disciples who they knew. Their job was not to impress people with how much they knew, but the fact that they were followers of their Lord Jesus Christ. Christ tells us, in fact, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, just ponder this. Christ tells us, love like I love you. Forgive like I forgive you. Listen to others like I listen to you. Be patient like I'm patient with you. So starting tonight, for the next seven days, how might you and I be a man or woman who chooses to live and look and listen and love and sound a wee bit more like our Lord Jesus Christ? Dear me, Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. Thank you that for some reason, while we were yet sinners, you died for us.
And thank you, Lord, that you can't not be faithful, that you really delight in blessing your people. And dear Holy Spirit, take the word tonight and help us this week to apply it in some way that brings you honor and glory and enriches our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you sing this with me? I will build my life. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. prepare to leave, um, we really have the opportunity this week to be authentic expressions of Christ's character. What a gift that he would choose us and say, I want you to represent me in this world in the same way that others have represented him to us. And so um, as always, uh, guys, the prayer team will be available in the back uh, if you guys want to be prayed for. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you need to hand something to the Lord right now, our community team will be at the info desk in the lobby. So if you need them, if you would like to be involved, if you're new to this community and you want to get connected, uh, there's no better place to start. And so um, we're gonna be playing a song as we leave this place. I know we've done this a few times before, but we just wanna leave with joy and leave praying the way that Jesus told us how to pray. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. The people said, thanks be to God. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your kingdom come.